Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. Join us now as Pastor Keith Moore shares today's message. You may be seated. You may be seated. Hey, I want to say thanks to, I didn't get a chance to introduce to you, uh, the new guy on the platform today is named Chad Crouch. He's our guest worship leader today. If you see him hanging around, he'll be back later. Be sure and introduce yourself to him. Thanks to our whole worship uh, music leadership team today. Well, uh, we're, in just a second, we're going to jump into uh, a talk from God's Word on how to avoid financial failure. Now, I want you to get ready for that. Grab a Bible, grab a pen. Uh, on the back side of your bulletin, uh, there's a, a place to take notes. Um, I encourage you uh, to do that. When God speaks, I'd take notes. And um, that's, uh, he's, uh, if you're not going to listen to anybody, uh, listen to him and capture, capture what he says. Now, uh, at the end of this sermon, we're going to transition into a time of extended prayer. So I want you to get ready for that. And we're going to pray for God's help. We're going to give you an opportunity. Uh, I've, I've, I've not put you on notice, but any of our elders that are in this service, um, whether you're, you're active uh, on the team this year or what we call on sabbatical, uh, I would like for you to be available to just come stand at the front. Any of our pastors and ministers and staff, if you'd just be available here. Again, we're going to have about eight or nine minutes. Uh, if you need someone to pray for and or with you about uh, a challenge that you're facing. Um, you know, we, we need God. We need the Lord. And um, stuff's bigger than us. And so that's coming. So be praying for that. Okay, ready? Everybody good? Some have been asking about uh, why I look so different these days. I am a grandfather. That is why. Yes, I am. I am. And um, uh, we, uh, Allie Harwell, um, hopefully will discover America in about three weeks. They're all still in Bogota, Colombia. We went down halfway through the process, Allison and I, to spend seven or eight days with them. And about the day before we were to come back, uh, the kids looked at Allison and said, Mom, could you just stay? And she said, um, let me pray about it, Yes. So, so she's there, and uh, they're, they're all well, and we're very thankful for what's happening. Hopefully, we'll get to introduce you uh, to, the, to uh, Allie soon. Well, you know, we've all had uh, the opportunity to think more about our money in the past five years than we typically had, haven't we? Uh, in this recession... You know, you know the, the, the classic, the first time I heard this, J.B., was in 1974 in that recession. They said, it's a, it's a recession if you're having trouble. It's a depression if I'm having trouble. So I don't know whether this is a recession or a, or a financial depression, but it's been hard times, and we've had opportunity to, to think about it, and that's because financial failure has been pursuing us and has overtaken many of us. There, nothing causes more problems and worries, more anxiety than being under financial pressure. It causes health problems. It causes uh, marriage and family problems. Couples, all research continues to show that couples in the Western world, uh, in the Western culture, argue more about financial matters than any other issue. It, it causes the greatest and most consistent strain on the most 
marriages, uh, of, of any other thing, more than any other reason. So, uh, let's just cut right to the chase. How do we avoid this pressure? I mean, how do we avoid this financial pressure? How do we, how do we avoid financial failure? Now, God has help for us in the Bible. Uh, one of the authors that God inspired was King Solomon. Now, King Solomon lived approximately uh, 1,000 years before the birth of Christ. Some scholars have pinpointed the year. They say he was born in 1011 B.C. So, about a, so let's, it's safe to say about 1,000 years before the birth of of Christ. Now, God the Holy Spirit inspired King Solomon to, to write, among other things, the book of Proverbs. The vast majority of the Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, are penned by King Solomon. He, uh, at least from, from God's perspective, is the wisest man who ever lived uh, by anyone's calculation, believers and unbelievers, uh, Jews and Gentiles. Uh, secularists and religious people, by any, by by by, by all people, uh, all people's calculations, Solomon is the wealthiest man who ever walked the planet that we know of, including the list of all the wealthiest people in the world today. You go back and calculate what we know historically of Solomon's wealth: the wealthiest human who ever walked the planet, wisest and wealthiest. He knew a lot about money. He knew a lot about building wealth, and he knew a lot about managing uh, wealth. So I, I think considering that the Holy Spirit gave him those life circumstances and God the Holy Spirit inspired him to write God's words about it, we should pay attention to what he says. When, when God speaks through the writings of Solomon in the Bible, uh, we should listen. We should listen to him. And so today and next Sunday, we're going to do just that. We're going to God's counsel as found in the book of Proverbs uh, to discover how to avoid financial failure and how to uh, acquire God's provision for our needs. And so Solomon wrote to the people of Israel in the book of Proverbs, and he told them of five essential behaviors, five essential actions to take to avoid financial failure. So here we're going to jump right in. Uh, and, and here's the first one. Ready? Write this down. Uh, you can avoid financial failure if you'll take these five actions. The first one is this. Keep good records. Keep good records. Is it, wow, that doesn't sound all that theological and spiritual and, you know, no, even no these and thous in that. Keep good records. Sounds like what my daddy told me. Well, your daddy was like a whole lot like God. Uh, he says, keep good records. Look at this passage in Proverbs 27, 23, and 24. Uh, Riches can disappear fast. So watch your business interests closely. Know the state of your flocks. That's God's word. That is God's word. Now, in those days, uh, big money was in agriculture. Big money was in agriculture, and people were shepherds. They, were, they raised sheep, they raised cattle, they raised goats. Not too many Israelites raised hogs. Not much money in that, but bad, you know, bad deal. But, uh, but, but cattle and sheep and goats, uh, they had a lot of those. They had a lot of those. So their assets were tied up in livestock. And, uh, and what he's saying here to them is that know your assets, 
Know, know your situation. Uh, you've got to know where your money's going. He's, he's saying to, to the Israelis, keep good records. Be aware. Um, the starting point to avoid financial failure is for you and me uh, to, to have a clear uh, assessment of our situation financially. Uh, in, in Proverbs 23, 23, he says it this way, Get the facts at any price. Get the facts at any price. So four things that we need to know. You need to know them, and I need to know them. And here they are very quickly. I need to know what I own. I need to know what I owe. I need to know what I earn. And I need to know where it goes. That's it. What I own, write down the word own. What I owe, write down the word owe, O-W-E. What I earn and where it goes. We need to know these things. And so how am I going to know these things? Well, here we go. Write this down. No, I mean write this down. That's what you do. You write it down. You, you, you write it down. You, you get a log. You get a ledger. You get a, you get a notebook. And, and just simply you write down everything you own. What are your assets? What's your, what's your net worth? What you got in cash? What you got tied up in investments? What you got tied up in material possessions? You write down what you own. And then you write down what you owe. Who you owe and how much and when it is due. You write down how much you earn. And you write down where it goes. We'll get back to that in a second. Now, many of you immediately said, I don't have time. I'm under so much pressure. How many of you feel that way? I don't have time for this. That sounds like an overwhelming job. I don't have time for this. Well, let me encourage you to do this. Why don't you take the, the time that you spend worrying about your finances and, and then use that time to write it down? It will be, a, it will be a, a pressure reliever. Get it on paper so you can see it. So the first thing that God says to you and me through Solomon from the book of Proverbs is the starting place, the first action is keep good records. Second is this, plan. Plan my spending. Plan my spending. Listen again to the Word of God through Solomon in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5. Here's what he says. Plan carefully. Plan carefully and you will have plenty. If you act too quickly, underline that phrase, if you act too quickly, you will never have enough. Proverbs 21.5. So what he's saying here to you and me is plan how we're going to spend our money before it comes in. When we know what we earn, we plan on how to spend it before it comes in. In other words, set some financial goals uh, for this year. Now, the principle that we've all learned in our Financial Peace University class is uh, to tell our money where it's going to go. Uh, tell every dime of it where it's going to do. Tell our money where it's going to go before we ever spend it. Now, this is the, the definition of a budget. It's just, a budget is a spending plan. We plan ahead of time where it's going to go. I mean, you get, we get down and detailed uh, about it. On Sunday afternoon, the 24th, uh, we're going to offer a one-hour seminar uh, called uh, Let Us Help You Financial Seminar right here on our campus. I think it's 5 to 6 uh, in, the, um, in the outpost. You can sign up for it or you can just show up uh, for it. But there we're going to talk about this. You know, Here's a help. Here's a practical help about where you, how you can start to write down where the money is going to go 
uh, ahead of time. You plan on it. The, uh, some research I saw this week says that the average American spends six hours a week in shopping-related activities. Now, that's, all, that's not bad. I mean, we, we shop for our gasoline. We shop for our groceries. Uh, we shop for clothing. We shop for essentials. But the average American spends six hours a week shopping. Uh, other research has shown that the higher your education level, the more hours you tend to spend shopping. Now, Fayette in East Coweta and South Fulton County is one of the most highly educated air, uh, populations in the state of Georgia, which means we're probably shopping more than uh, the average bear. Uh, so we need to be aware of that. Now, notice this verse says, if you act not only to plan your spending, but if you act too quickly, you'll never have enough. You will never have enough. What he's talking about here is impulse buying. Impulse buying. You know, I see it, I want it, I buy it. I see it, I want it, I buy it right now. Uh, Every commercial and every advertisement is designed to get me to do impulse buying. You know, you all of a sudden, well, you remember that hot light we talked about last week at Krispy Kreme? It's designed to get you to do impulse buying. Oh, let's go there. I see it. I want it. Um, you know, the, that, that, uh, that steakhouse commercial that comes on where the first thing you see is the sizzling steak that they sit down before. You can almost smell it. Um, it impulse buying. The word, there's, there's, a, there's one word in the English language that tends to uh, move us to impulse buying more than any other one. You know what it is? Sale. That's right. You get it. You win the prize. Sale. And uh, I'm wondering, should we talk about that? You got that so quickly, Teresa. I'm not sure. Should we? Yeah. Okay. Sale. Now, what, when we see that word sale, there's this thing in us that says, oh, oh I'm, I probably should go buy that because it's going to cost more later whether we need it or not. Bob Beale, who I think is a modern-day Solomon, I recommend that you read all his books, he defines maturity as the ability to put process between opportunity and decision. That's maturity. The ability to put process between opportunity and decision. We, we put a process between that opportunity to buy where we, we ask strategic questions or, or maybe we cause ourselves to wait. I read uh, in, in preparing for this talk this week, I, I saw, um, I, this sounds so fantastic, I thought this surely cannot be true. And maybe it's not. But one writer says he knows of a woman in his church who keeps her credit cards in the freezer frozen in a bowl of water. And when she sees something that she wants, she takes the bowl out and lets it melt. And, and, then, if it's, and then when she can get to her card, if she still wants it, maybe she'll, she'll buy it. That sounds a little extreme, but, you know, maybe that's what we, that's what we need. She put mechanisms in place. She put process in between opportunity and decision. But God says here, if you act too quickly, you will never have enough. Look at Proverbs 21.20. Parents, I'm sorry, but stupid is a Bible word. Take a look at it right here. Stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. Wow. Impulse buying quickly becomes a habit and then a stronghold in our lives. Uh, it, it leads to financial failure because we, 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 stop, we move from Krispy Kreme donuts to Dodge trucks. 
uh, we begin to, to buy on an impulsive basis bigger ticket uh, items. Uh, so what's God's cure? What's God's cure? It's this second principle. Plan your spending. Plan it ahead of time. And um, so first one is keep good records. Second is plan your spending. Here's the third action Solomon says for us to take, and it is this. Save. Write down the word save. Save for the future. And say, so, well, I knew that. Anybody here not know that we should save for the future? Sure. We, we all know that. We all know that. But God says that. Look at Proverbs 21, verse 20. The wise man saves for the future. The wise man saves for the future. Now, one report uh, this week that I saw says the average Japanese adult saves 25% of their income. It said that the average um, European adult saves 18%. The average American saves way less than 5%, south of 5%. Uh, now, now, Proverbs 13, 11 says it this way, He grows rich who accumulates little by little. Little by little. Uh, those get-rich-quick schemes that look too good to be true, most of the time, what? They are. They are. But the, the one who grows rich accumulates little by little. So, so in your spending plan that we've just talked about in principle two, in your spending plan, in your budget, God says here to tell some of your money to go to save for the future. So I don't have any left over. Well, just start. Can you do a nickel? Can you do a dime? Can you do a dollar? I mean, just start. Just start. Just start spending. There was an American Demographics article that predicts... What? Oh, you're with it. No, I really... That was a mistake. I'm not that cool. Yeah, start saving. Um, start saving. Um, there's an American Demographics article that predicts that... Uh, how many of us... Are, how many of you join me? You're baby boomers. Yeah, it, it, this, this article says that most of us are going to spend retirement in poverty, busted because we're, we've not prepared for it. We're spending it all as we go. Well, in order, in order to save for the future, principle number three, we need to follow principle number four. We need to take action number four, and it is this one. Enjoy what I have. Learn to enjoy my current situation, what I have. This is the principle of contentment. And this is something that we can learn. We are to learn. The Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 4 that it is, it is something that he learned. He said, I have learned to be content in all circumstances. Evidently, God can help us learn to be content. He can help us with that. But, we aren't, we are, uh, but we're discontent, aren't we? We're not content. Uh, some of it is caused by the world thought and value system that we've talked about. Out there, up there, that's um, uh, the advertising and marketing world. I mean, have you ever noticed this? I mean, when we were down visiting the kids in, in Bogota, we were a couple of, of uh, city blocks away from, from one of the largest and nicest shopping malls in that great city, and it, is, it was upscale. I went in to walk around. 30 minutes after I was in there, I felt out of style. You ever done that? If I, felt, I felt a year or two years out of style. Oh, golly, boy, wouldn't that be nice? I mean, I need to dress up a little bit. And it, I'm, some of it, some of our discontent uh, comes from external 
factors, but most of it comes from our hearts. There's something wrong with our souls. There's something wrong with our hearts, and and we're discontent, and so we spend now rather than save for the future. Here's how God says it to you and me in Proverbs 21.7. Indulging in luxuries, wine, and rich food will never make you wealthy. Wow. Now, we believe that Here's the problem. We believe that having more will make us happy. We believe that. But we know that's not true, don't we? I mean, we know people that have more than us, and they're miserable. I mean, there have been great movie after movie and novel after novel written with the point of, of, of having more and more and more material possessions does not make you happy. I mean, that's been a lesson that human beings in all cultures have been hammered with and taught forever and ever, yet we still feel like if I could just get that thing or that deal or one more step up or that... You know, it's the thing about when you get a new laptop computer and you get home and crank it up and you do a search on the Internet and you realize a new one's just come out on that day. And you go, oh, I could have had that one. It's, it's, um, there's something in us that makes us believe that having more will make us happy, even though we know it's not true. One, one writer said it this way, our yearning power will always be greater than our earning power. Our yearning power will always be greater than our earning power uh, if we don't learn this lesson. Hebrews 13.5 just says it. God says it to you and me. Here we go. Say it with me out loud. Ready? Be content with what you have. Say it again. Be content with what you have. So, But you might say, well, pastor, but I'm not. I'm not. I mean, what do I do about that? How do I learn contentment? Well, here's some advice from God's Word. Start We talked about this last week. Start by habitually giving thanks to God for what you do have. Now, that'd be something to write down. You're all looking at me, but I mean, write that down. This is something, this is an action to take in your quiet time, in your daily time of worship and submitting of yourself to the Lord Jesus on a moment-by-moment, day-by-day basis. When you start that, have have as part of that discipline, part of that habit, listing the good things that are in your life, in all of the realms of your life, physically, relationally, uh, vocationally, in your career, in your ministry, in your, your health. Uh, the f- list. Thank God for the good things in your life. Remember, we saw last week that that is God's, God's instruction on how to flee the temptation to materialism. The first thing, He gave us two. The first thing was thanks begin to give thanks. And um, so, here we go. Actions. Keep good records. Plan your spending. Save for the future. Enjoy what you have. And then God, through Solomon, gives us a fifth action uh, to take that will help us avoid financial failure. And it's this one. Give back to God. Somebody was saying, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. I knew he's going to get there. You know, here he goes again. This is Pastor Keith's annual sermon on the amount. (laughs) You know, somebody said, ah, this is just, he's just trying to get our money in the church's pocket. Well, yeah, I am. No, no, no. Uh, No, if you believe that, here's here's the point. I'm going to ask you to give to God, and if you got a problem with that here, just give it somewhere else. Okay? Is that safe? Um, we got a lot of great sister churches in the area. So just start giving and send it to one of them. I'm just don't tell me about it. 
No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But, but seriously, just, just work, get rid of this thing about, you know, whether it's here and that. It's one of God's actions, however counterintuitive it is. Because it is counterintuitive, right? You say, wait a minute, I'm in financial distress, and God is saying the way to have more money is to give a little bit of what I do have away? How's that work? I don't know. But it does. He does it. He does it. Let's, let's take a look at that. Give back to God. God says that we're to give a tithe. That's a, that's a, a, a Hebrew word, uh, a biblical word that we find that speaks, that, that literally is translated the tenth. The tenth. It means 10%. We're to give 10% of our income back to God as an act of worship, not as a hope for investment, no, for no other motivation. No other motivation except to honor God in worship. And um, because God does, he said, why? why? God doesn't need our money. Why did he say 10%? Why didn't he say 50%? Why didn't he say 80%? I don't know. We're to give 10% because God said that's what, he's wise. He knows what he's doing. And he said, "This this is what I want you to do. It's good for you. He has your best interest at heart. He, it's not because he needs our money. He owns us all. He does not need our money. What he's, what he's wanting is what it represents. It represents a transition of our affection, a transition of our affections from our money to our God. In Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 23, it says, God gave us the tithe to teach us to put him first. In everything. It is, it is powerful. It is, besides thanksgiving, it is the next step to set us free from worshiping our stuff and for, having our, uh, for, having, for our stuff having a grip on us, for our money being our God. And so he says that's what we need. It breaks the power of materialism. We are either going to worship God or we're going to worship our possessions. Giving back to God teaches us to worship God. Uh, look at this, Proverbs 3 Verse 9 and 10, honor the Lord by giving him the first part, the first part of all your income, and he will fill your barns to overflow. It is, it is the first part, not the last part. Let's see if we've got any left over, and then we're going to give it. No, we give it first. In, in an act of faith, in an act of worship, of trust, we show our submission of all we are and all that we have to God as living sacrifices. By the way, at the risk of totally distracting you from the point of the message, let me just say, that's what worship is. We think it's music. You guys drive me nuts. You get out there and say, boy, the worship was great, but the preaching stunk. You know, I mean, you say, and you're talking about all the music stuff, all the singing to God. That's worship, and then we have preaching. No, 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 no. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says that submission to the Lord is worship. And that's it. If you're in here singing to God, but you're not submitting all that you are and all you have to the will of God, thy will be done, thy kingdom come in me, your reign and rule, you're not worshiping. You might be praying, oh, praying, 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 but if you're not submitting yourself to God uh, as, as, uh, as a sacrifice to Him, you're not worshiping. Singing to God, I mean, I have people all the time sometimes come in my office and they just say, I'm not going to obey God. You know, I'm going to continue in this sin or that sin. And they walk in here and they start singing, oh, Lord, what are you doing? That's not worship. I don't know what you're doing. 
You submit to God. Well, this act of giving is, is, is an act of worship. It is submitting our self and our stuff to God. Now, Allison and I, from the very first Sun, from the very first Sunday that we were married, and we were married young. I mean, I was 21 and she was 18. Actually, the day we got married, she was a week shy of 18. Her dad said, couldn't you waited one week? I didn't have to sign for her, but I couldn't wait. So, and, uh, so we, uh, we were kids, and um, we just said God's going to always get the first 10% of our income. Now, there, there wasn't much income. We were both in college. I worked three hours um, a day at a machine and welding shop. She worked three hours a day in the office of a clothing manufacturer, and we both made minimum wage. But we worshiped God with the tithe. And I'm just telling you, we never missed a meal. We had never, ever, I've never missed a meal. Uh, we, we, we've, never had a, we've never been late on a bill. Um, we've always had everything we need. We've always had way more than we need. You know, I got way more than I need. I mean, I'm compared to the rest of the world, I am a fabulously wealthy being. And most of you are too. But God has been faithful. He's, he's true. He's given to us everything we need. Now look at this in Malachi chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. God says this, You are under a curse, speaking to His people, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into my storehouse. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you won't have enough room for it. I will prevent the pests from devouring your crops. Now, many of you have followed Christ, and you have followed these five principles. You have taken these actions over the past two uh, to three years, and many of you have seen some amazing financial turnarounds. Oh, here's what I want to ask you. Would you write to me and tell me about those as a testimony to God's faithfulness and provision? I want to know. I want to, I want, I'm, ca- I'm capturing all these financial turnaround stories that Jesus uh, has worked in the lives of, of men and women and, and uh, families in our church. I want to know about those. Uh, so I urge every one of you to do what God says in His Word. Trust Him. Worship Him. All five are important. All five are essential. Now, God says, uh, when you do life my way, I'll bless your life. Now, we don't follow Jesus because he makes life good and, and because it works. But I will say this, nothing works better than walking with Jesus and doing life his way. Nothing does work better than that. And I want to encourage you, I want to ask you, Uh, to do this. But we have a problem. Now, I've hinted to the problem. Here we go. Now, this is where I want you to to lock in. I'll do my... This is the morning, let me see your eyes statement. I've already hinted to this. The, the, The problem with these financial actions is we don't have the ability to take them. Do we? I mean, you've all... Every one of you could have written this message and given it. Yet we, we don't live that way. Why? Why? This is, God knows this. This is a reminder that you and I are still 
people who need a Savior. We need the gospel. That apart from the love of God active in our lives through the Lord Jesus Christ as a result of our faith in His substitutionary representative atoning death on the cross for you and me while we were still sinners shaking our fist in his face spitting at him cursing him he died for us he atoned for our sin out of a magnificent love apart from our realization of the gospel and our placing our trust in him on a moment by moment day by day basis we will not be motivated nor enabled to do these things we need jesus we need Jesus. Some of you are not yet followers of Christ. The starting place uh, here is to, is to put your trust in Jesus. For those of us who have been walking with Christ a long time, it means that we preach the gospel to ourselves every day. We get up every day and we meditate on the fact that we are fully accepted by God. We are adopted as His children. We've been given the the Holy Spirit to indwell our lives in the amazing grace of God. We have a home in heaven when we die. We don't have to worry about eternity. We have the promise of abundant and full life here and now in God's presence, in His grace, in His direction, in His Word, only because we put our faith in Jesus only because we put our trust in him and that 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 grasping again of that love so overwhelming motivates us by the power of the Holy Spirit and enables us empowers us the spirit indwelling us empowers us to become the kind of people God wants us to become and then do what he wants us to do Apart from Jesus, you can't do this. I won't, I won't, but you won't do this. I won't do these things, and we'll stay in trouble. And so I'm asking you to put your faith in Jesus. And so we're gonna we're gonna pray now. We got about oh, we got 20 minutes left in the service, so don't don't run, don't move, except to pray. I'm gonna ask our uh, Pastors and staff, ministers, any of you elders, would you just come spread out all across the front here right now, like right now. There you go. There you go. Yeah, right now. Everybody move. Everybody move. Anyone, any those of you that can, there we go. Any of you that are willing to pray with and for people. Jeff, would you keep an eye on this? I may need you to step up should we uh, have enough folks. And uh, music's going to play just to give us a little white noise so it won't be so quiet here. But some of you have great financial need. You're in financial failure, and you need this God who is able to help you. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. It'd be the most horrible thing imaginable to get to the end of your life, and they write across your tombstone, he had not because he asked not. She had not because she asked not. She didn't ask God. But others of you have other great challenges. You have physical challenges. Some of you have serious illnesses. You have loved ones who are seriously ill. Some of you have relational challenges. Your marriage is wrecked and you don't know what to do about it. You don't have the power to do what you know to do. Some of you, your kids have gone over the wall. you got prodigal kids and they're breaking your hearts and ruining their own lives. We need God. Um, I mean, you just go on. Whatever it is, whatever it is. Uh, Now's the time. Let's pray. You might just want to come and kneel here at the front. Sometimes it helps us. So it helps me to do something physically when I'm wanting to draw near to God. I mean, you know, sometimes it's bow my head, but maybe it's just turn around and kneel at your chair. 
but something to say, God, I'm, I'm coming before you. I need you. I don't know what to do except cry out to you. Got it? So we're going to take about 10 minutes here, and we're just going to pray. And um, if you want somebody to come pray with and for you, you come to one of these men and women. I'll be here at the front as well. Maybe you just want to come and kneel. But now's the time to ask God to enter in. Listen, church, we're not going to move forward unless we start praying to God like really. This mission God's given us to turn far from God and far from church people into transformed, fully devoted, fully developing followers of Jesus. That's what we do. That's what we're that's too big. We're not going to do that unless we begin to cry out to him to make it so. Show us what to do and how to do it and empower us to do it. So some of you pray that. Got it? I'm going to open up in prayer and then let's pray. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.